Good evening, right. everybody. Welcome to Punch Kick Choke Chat. My name is Sean Benson. I'm one of your hosts. I'm coming to you at 5.30, which means Pacific time, but I'm also north. I'm in the subarctic in Whitehorse, Yukon right now, and I'm really happy to be here with y'all. And as you know, with our new-ish, it's not even that new anymore format, we jump right into a question with our guest. And tonight is Kiyoshi Bernard Leduceur. And I wanted to ask you, Kiyoshi, right out of the gate, I never get tired of this question with martial artists who've been doing this for way longer than me. You started in 1971. What is the biggest change you've seen in the martial arts over the years? Uh, over the years, if you remember back in the early 70s, it was the Kung Fu craze and everybody wanted to take karate or judo or jujitsu or Kung Fu. And it was for the purposes of defending yourself. And uh, as times have changed, I mean, uh, it's no longer acceptable. We don't settle things in the schoolyard anymore or in the parking lot. The civil litigation aspect of it has made it very uh, cost prohibitive to get involved in these altercations. Uh, and you have to be wise and, and choose your target areas to make sure that, A, we don't cause injury. Pain is acceptable, but causing an injury to somebody may come back to bite you in the butt and be very, very costly. So over the years, uh, I, I would say, Learning how to fight was why we joined martial arts schools. Today, the clientele is more wanting to get into shape and learning some new tricks and so on. But it's predominantly to look after oneself in the event that they need it, but also the aspect of fitness and and uh, and uh, getting into shape. So, yeah. Right on. I do want to go around the horn on that because I love getting the perspective on this. And, you know, some of us who are younger have still been around for a second. Sensei Suino, what about you? What do you think is the biggest change since 1968 that you've witnessed and, and I'm going to add, based on what Kiyoshi Leducer said, do you think the defense aspect is maybe faded somewhat? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I still get people that come to my dojo that say they want to learn self-defense. One thing that Kiyoshi didn't mention is the BJJ craze. And I mean, that has changed, you know, the UFC and BJJ have changed the face of martial arts for all of us. We just can't, we just can't live in this world without paying attention to that. You know, the UFC is on all the time. Uh, uh, you see people from all different styles matched up. There's this whole thing called MMA that wasn't around when, you know, when I came up. Um, and then you've got tens of thousands of people that do recreational BJJ and they get really, really good at this real cool niche art. Uh, it's created a whole culture. Uh, uh, so just, you know, just culturally and, and, uh, you know, what you see on a daily basis in this game has changed a lot. And I think a big part of that is because of the UFC. Mm -hmm. um, I was just, you know, checking on Google. There's a karate club here, a Muay Thai club here, and a jiu-jitsu club here in Whitehorse. It's teeny up here. And I just think, uh, that's a, I, I'm imagining in 1971, you couldn't go to every small town and find three martial arts. I, I won't have time to get there, but probably being practiced at a pretty decent level. Sensei Dofan, what about you? You know, you started in the 80s. That's not nothing. <clears throat> change you've seen and has the defense aspect faded a little? I don't know. I think it's just your perspective. I guess if I'm looking outside of this, the facility here, yes, there's lots of stripes and there's lots of like self-help, personal um, motivation stuff going on. I don't know. We still fight in here. You know, Ben's. It's still here. It's still very much... Um, I want it to be that way. Um, I want it to be, I want the kids to be able to stand up for themselves when somebody picks on them. I want them to be able to stand up and say no. Uh, I think that's the biggest self-help you can give these kids 
is being able to stand up and say, no, you're not going to push me around and I'm going to stand up for myself. You know, the ladies coming in here or older people who come in here. I hope if somebody comes after them and they jump out of the car, they give them the biggest fucking surprise they ever found in their life. Um, and, but I mean, definitely some things have changed even, you know, now you got to put headgear on hand gear on foot gear on, um, my black belt grading, I didn't wear anything except for a mouthpiece. That's my essence. They see, what do I need for my black belt grading? You need a mouthpiece. <laughs> you know, and I fought for a whole day with just a mouthpiece on. And um, the tournaments and back then, there were still lots of tournaments where you had to go in and just fight with no equipment on, just a mouthpiece and just go in and fight. Um, so a lot of that has changed. All the insurance and safety regulations have really pushed a lot of things onto us that I don't know, maybe aren't necessary, necessary. <laughs> they right weren't on. necessary in the seventies. So I'm not sure why they're necessary now in sure. the 21st century. <laughs> well, there's that meme that always goes around with like kids jump in like a banana seat bike in the eighties or seventies with like a tire ramp. And it's like, yeah, somebody's getting sued now. If you do that, um, Hanchi legacy, biggest change since 1971 and has the defense aspect faded. I would say the biggest change I found wasn't really in the fighting because uh, Randy can tell you that we're a fighting club. We fought all the time, regardless of what anybody else was doing. But with me, uh, I'm from the same uh, era as Sensei uh, Um I find the biggest change that was made was that, I don't know about in Quebec, but in, in Ontario, there weren't any real like real karate clubs, only the guys from Shotokan or, um, you know, the senseis at that time, like some of my senseis, they were, they didn't know the entire style. They know a little bit of Goshiru, a little bit of Chitoryu. So I find the biggest thing that happened was my generation and uh, Sensei Rodisaro's generation, um, help stylize, go in and get the styles out of Okinawa and Japan and bring them to the United States and then possibly to Canada to make karate what it is today. That's, karate is gonna last through classical karate, not through sports karate, because sports karate changes with every coach. So to me, uh, the grasp that classical karate put on North America is probably the biggest change for me. Right well, on. If I, could just if I could just clarify, uh, one of, I guess what I was trying to say is that back in the 70s and 80s, we joined a martial arts club to learn how to fight. Now it's more of a self-defense aspect of it. Okay. Oh, got so, it, got it, got it. Th th that's what I'm saying. Now, now you have to gear it that way. And I remember in our dojo, uh, even though we were a jiu-jitsu club, uh, we had hour and a half that always went to two-hour classes. And of that time period, you fought for about an hour. There was always fighting and fighting and fighting going on, and sparring. <laughs> they didn't have jiu-jitsu tournaments back then, but we would go to the karate tournaments because back in the 70s, we were like the illegitimate children of, of, of martial arts. So, and then when we started getting a lot of success, I mean, the Victorios would go in and come out with a grand championship. That would piss off some karate people for sure. 
But then eventually, because back in that back in that day, you belonged to a dojo. But if you went to someone else's dojo, you better have somebody's permission. Otherwise, you were a turncoat. Today, that has all changed. Today, for us to walk into your dojo, we are welcome with open arms. You come into ours, regardless of your style, you're welcome with open arms. So things have changed. Plus, we don't have two-hour classes anymore unless it's open training because it's more of a business. It's more of a business and you have to structure it for the volume of, of, of the, the, the student. Also, back when we started, I can tell you it was a badge of honor to go to school with a crooked nose or a black eye or an arm in a cast or a broken finger. You can't do that to your clientele anymore because more and more, it's the professionals and 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 if they go to work with a black eye, well, then they get questioned by their management. And at the end of the day, it's not the same motivation. It's not the, the same reasons that people come to our dojos. And we have to be cognizant of that fact. Otherwise, if you're going to stay back in the style of the 70s, you're not going to be in business very, very long. Uh, and, and it's for a select group of people. I'm not saying we don't fight. We still fight. But like like Randy mentioned, now it's not just the mouthpiece that you fight with. You make sure you've got the jock and you've got the safety mitts and you've got the hat and you've got the, the, the shin guards. And stuff. back then we didn't have any of that shit. So at the end of the day, you were black and blue and that was your badge of honor. Um, so I appreciate me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, but the... well, we're actually going to go around the horn a little on that, because when the way I took it is actually the way you meant it, which is self-defense is what Hanshi calls like street level karate, like actually oh, yeah. like fighting Okinawan. And then uh, I took what you said the same way you meant it, which is Perfect. a little more surface. But so then I want to pivot into that because both you and Hanshi mentioned something really specific, which is the fighting. And so is there self-defense without fighting? Does that exist? Is there, can there be a self-defense course or is it fighting? I'll start with you, Kiyoshi Ladu, sir, but I'm seeing some well, hands raised and some head shaking. No, no, but I mean, at the end of the day too, it depends on the clientele. People that walk into my dojo want to learn self-defense. But if I'm going to go and teach a government contract, I can't call it a self-defense course anymore. I have to label it a confrontational management course. Right. And that becomes politically <laughs> correct. And I, what do I teach in that confrontational management course? I teach self-defense techniques, how to deal with street <laughs> attacks and, and spontaneous attacks. It is the same thing. It's a different label. And all of a sudden it becomes palatable and, and everybody will sign off on it and pay their, their, their invoices and so on. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's how you package, how you create the need for, for a specific clientele. But do we still fight? Damn right, we still fight, and and uh, the nice thing about that is is, and, and we'll talk about that later on, I'm sure. But when we branched off and, and developed the, pit, the the kickboxing aspect of it, and and everybody launched into the the PKA, and and that was pre MMA, but back then the, the big fighting was 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 the uh, kickboxing, and we were fortunate enough that we had the world champion for for decades, and he's still around, and he's still a force to be reckoned with. So. Yeah, we, we were well surrounded. Right on. Hachi, like I say, I think I saw your hand go up. Is there self-defense without fighting? Or did you want to go somewhere else? Okay, let's look at what we're saying, okay? Self-defense. <clears throat> you learn self-defenses. Self-defenses are situation self-defenses. You're standing there, grab guy grabs you by the neck, you pull his hand away, get behind him, break his arm, or get away from him. Now you're going to have to fight the guy. Situation self-defense is to get you out of the situation, right? Right. 
How would he get you like that if you were just going to stand there and fight him? Right? So uh, I find that self-defense leads to fighting. Right. It, because you're going to get the guy off of your back and then you're going to have to face him. Unless you break his arm. Right. Kiyoshi? Totally agree. The only thing we've added to our program is in the old days when something was about to erupt in the schoolyard, in the parking lot, whatever it was, you want to go, okay, let's go. And that was a consensual fight. Now yep. you have to teach your, your students to say, back off, I, I don't want to fight, please let me go. And what does that do? That's building positive witnesses in the event because the police will be called, especially if in your self-defense, in your defensive part of this, this, this uh, encounter, you come up on top and well, you should, there's going to be a complaint somewhere whether it be from Joe Public, it'll be on, on YouTube, or it'll be uh, the, the poor schmuck that started it all, who, who, who winds up on the pavement, who uh, all of a sudden will call the police. But if you can build positive witnesses and the, and the right body language, we fight less this way and, and more so, because there's nothing you can't do from an open hand that you could do with a clenched fist. But I would argue that it's not the same with a clenched fist, especially when you know the, the, the shit hits the fan. You can't open these, but you can always close them. So at the end of the day, it's it's uh, you have to build that the, the 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 building of positive witnesses on your side because I repeat the civil litigation will come back and haunt you and take your houses, take your pensions. Uh, so at the end of the day, we have to protect ourselves in more ways than just physical ability. Love that. I think that's such an important part of this conversation. Sensei Dofa, any self defense without fighting? I don't know what that is like. If there is, I don't know what that is. I, I, it's not in my wheelhouse of experience. So there could, I just, I, you know, sense is laughing and I find it laughable to say that, but uh, that it could be that, but I don't know, maybe there's some club out there that has really super good pressure tested uh, situational self-defenses that, um, but I do want to say on both, I think you need both. I, I just really think you need both of them. So when you do free sparring, that just pressure tests everything. It pressure tests your mind, your body, all the things. And then when you do a situational self-defense, like a wrist lock, an arm break, a takedown, everything's kind of aligned. You've lined everything up the way it's supposed to be through your training. I don't know that you can remove any of those dominoes and still have the same thing. I. From my experience, I don't know. I, I I don't think so, but I stand to be corrected. Thanks, Sensei. Sensei Suino? Well, there's no good self-defense without fighting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a force spectrum. Where are you going to start, right? I've joked about this before when I taught self-defense classes, especially to amateur pistol shooters. They come in out of shape and they're always, oh, well, you know, I got this pistol. I don't need to, I don't need to be in shape. Well, listen. First of all, when I tell you to put your left foot forward, you can't even do it. Second of all, I've asked you to hit the focus mitt twice and you're already gassed. So, you know, I hope your pistol works for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and if someone takes it from you or if you lose it or if you don't have it, uh, you better darn well have fighting. And then what does fighting do for you? It helps you get in shape. It builds your situational awareness. It helps you deal with chaos, makes your techniques more effective, toughens you up. Yeah, there's no good self-defense without fighting. I Absolutely. love that. I just, 
Yeah, I just want to add really quickly, you know, like I used to train uh, a lot in the water for my Coast Guard search and rescue that I used to do. And the best you knew you were getting ready when you could be underwater being flipped around by rapids or waves and you were just chill because of the chaos and no one starts there. Like no one starts chill when a wave or you're being pulled underwater in, you know, 48 degree water, whatever. And uh, I always think about that with chaos, like in that paused moment where everything sucks. Are you okay? And I, nobody starts there. Um, I've never seen anyone start there. Sensei Dofa? I, I want to say, Ben, is like I have a practical example from last Saturday. And I told Sensei Legacy, like I said, thank you, Sensei, for training me. My BJJ coaches are great. They taught me lots of great techniques. But I've never done BJJ in a competitive environment. And when I did it, the one thing that was really cool is I was just super chill. Like I was looking at the clock. I was looking at people in the crowd while I was fighting with this guy. You know, he was freaking out. I could. That's from like that training that you're talking about being in the waves and just being able to just be chill and know I can ride this out. Like it's all good. I'm still alive and I'm, I'm going to live. Right on. Kiyoshi, love you, sir. Randy, but when you're talking about BJJ, I mean, that's an acquired skill and it comes with training and training and training and training. Any new BJJ student works their ass off and burns their jet fuel in the first 15, 20 seconds and then are totally exhausted. And then you look at a good BJJ practitioner. And like you say, you're looking at the clock, you're doing this, you're trying to set something up. You may give something in order to go get something, but it's it's very much a strategy. It's a chess game. And, and that's what I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a BJJ practitioner, but my son is, and he's, he's a BJJ black belt. And when I watch his classes, uh, it's, 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 it's such a, a, a strategic environment because the new people that are joining the class work their asses off. The people that have been there, that have sweated, that have got pinned and, and that have learned and have trained and trained and trained and trained. It's like everything else. If you don't train, then don't show up. But at the end of the day, it, it's an acquired skill that comes with time, repetition, practice. And that's the beauty, like you say, of BJJ. From a jiu-jitsu perspective, I look at BJJ as a sport. When I try and do BJJ, well, you can't do that. You can't gouge the guy's eyes. You can't bite him in the armpit. You can't do this. Well, that's no fun because my self-defense is the purpose of my, my, my defense is to win. I got to get up. I got to get out. I got to withdraw from the situation or make sure he or she doesn't get up. But now you're giving me all these rules. I'm sorry, Mr. Terrier, Sensei Terrier told me I could do all this, that, that tear off your ears if I have to uh, bite off a pound of flesh. Unfortunately, that's, that's, that's illegal in PJJ competition. Mm -hmm. So, but it's, it's, it's a wonderful sport mm -hmm. to watch. And I truly enjoy that. And, and you're right. It, it, it has complemented the, the, uh, it changed the whole MMA thing because Prior to that, it was all kickboxers going in there. And then some BJJ got in there and said, holy shit, broke somebody's arm or whatever. And, 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 and uh, changed the whole aspect of MMA. And now if you don't have BJJ, you don't have any, any Brazilian jiu-jitsu training, it's, it's a tough road to hope. Hey, Ben, two things on that. I want to say, Sensei Wolf um, said basically what you said, uh, Kiyoshi put me in a closed guard. I'm going to punch you in the nuts and then you're going to open your guard, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's what he said. And uh, 
if you try and put Bobby Lidesser in a triangle off your back, for me, it's impossible. I would need a ladder and I would need to walk up it backwards to wrap my legs around that man's head. So he's awesome martial artist. His son is an awesome martial artist. Um, Kiyoshi, ladies, sir, I want to ask you one more thing before we go to our intros. And it's because I love the way you use this word. And it's something that I think is important for a lot of the people listening is clientele. You know, you're really specific about how you use the word clientele. And I think the business of martial arts is something we try and touch on a fair bit in the show, which is how do you balance that? Like, how do you go in and go, great, I'm going to rename this without diluting it. Great. I'm going to go show this to the police officers without making them have to do, you know, straight up what I learned. Um, how do you balance what you know and what the totality of what you know is with what the client is there asking for without diluting what you're giving? Again, it's it's. Uh, I was fortunate that my my uh, my full time job was that as a police officer, uh, and when I joined the police off the, the police service, I was a martial artist. I was uh, I don't think I was a black belt yet, but uh, but I but if not, very very close to it. And in any police department, whoever had any self defense became the self defense instructor. So uh, I I joined a very small police service. Uh, 150 man service. I was uh, very quickly put into to that, uh, and it wasn't a primary role; it was a secondary role to do self defense. Now, as I say, times have changed. Society has changed. Uh, the, the United States are about 10 years ahead of us, and they were dealing with civil litigation. We went from self defense to defensive tactics, even changing that terminology. And in defensive tactics training. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough that I joined an organization called PPCT Management System. There are lots of different pressure point uh, systems out there, but that's the one that I dealt with. And that my force allowed me to go study under that and become a trainer and an instructor trainer. And that changed and from those courses. It, it, it showed us that you have to do something. You just can't do a joint lock and break somebody's wrist or uh, Back in the old days, I mean, uh, you wanted to take somebody down, you kick them in the knees, break the knee or break the shin. And and uh, when they're incapacitated physically, then you throw them down and you handcuff them and then you bring them to the cell. Except by the time the lawyer showed up, you had a lot of explaining to do. So having to deal with injuries caused as a result of physical altercations or, or arresting procedures, uh, the states, they, they, they had to go away from that and find another system. So Back in the mid 80s, I got into PPCT and became a pressure point instructor and also the founder of our style, George Sylvain, who was a, a very well-renowned uh, police officer and police trainer and developed police training tactics. He jumped on board as that and, and became a high ranking member of PPCT. And uh, so it came into the Can Ryu system or the Terrian Jiu-Jitsu system. And, and uh, we started throwing that into our curriculum. So, but to come back to your answer though, uh, I mean, you have to label things uh, in different, like I say, we changed self-defense training to defensive uh, uh, defensive tactics training in, in the police world. And uh, now they're use of force instructors. They're, not, they're no longer defensive tactics trainers. They are use of force instructors. So it's whatever the society uh, will, <laughs> will, will tolerate, I guess. Uh, society keeps changing. I mean, uh, Angie Legacy, you and I remember a day when our dads would send us to the corner store to buy cigarettes and they would actually sell it to us because we're buying it for our dad, right? And then you'd go in and buy smokes 
And then you'd go and say to the clerk, uh, do you sell condoms? Now, if you smoke cigarettes, they're kept under lock and key with cancerous pictures all over the packs and soon to be on cigarettes. But you can walk in and say, I'll take one of those purple packs of Trojans and do you sell cigarettes? So society <laughs> has flipped. And, and it's hard to, to deal with that and to manage that, but that's what, that's our reality. So I don't know if I'm answering your, your, your question, Absolutely. Sean, I'm sort of dancing around it, but at the end of the day, that has to translate into the dojo. I mean, a punch is a punch, a kick is a kick, a throw is a throw, a lock is a lock. Uh, but, you know, we can't call them, we can't call them chokeholds anymore. We call them neck restraints. And uh, <laughs> because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, as a police officer, uh, we, we weren't allowed to teach uh, chokeholds anymore. But right. you can do neck restraints. And, and, and I mean, there, there are different types of chokes. Not all of them are, are, are respiratory or sanguineous. Some of them are nerve chokes and so on. But at the end of the day, you call them restraints. You can throw them all in the same basket and teach whatever the hell you want. Okay. But I don't teach, teach chokehold anymore. I teach neck restraint and right uh, controlling techniques. And uh, is it aimed to, 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 to rape or to maim people? No, but it's now called subject control. Okay, so at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't may not start with a shin kick to the shin. Maybe it starts with a knee strike to the uh, to the uh, thigh, and then you you know you you cramp the muscle, and uh, that weakens the subject. It gives you a, a distraction and allows you to go into the control technique or the takedown. But I mean, we've we've had to change because if I kick you in the groin, and then all of a sudden you can't have the ten kids that you dreamed of for the rest of your life, it's going to cost me dearly. And as dojo owners and operators, you have to be cognizant of that fact. Yoshi, we call that a groin restraint. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different show, guys. <laughs> I wasn't going there, but feel free. <laughs> Wait, all you got to do is open the door a little way, Yoshi. Open the door, <laughs> I walk right through. Yeah. <laughs> Um, on that note, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Punch, Kick, Choke Chat. Like I said, I'm Sean Benson. I'm one of your hosts. Um, Sensei Dofa is going to introduce our guest. It's my pleasure every week to just introduce my co-host. I'm here with Sensei Nicholas Suino, Hanchi Gary Legacy, and Sensei Randy Dofa. And I just want to say, I've talked about Sensei Suino with the Crucible, 12 hours on the mat with us. I rolled with him. I spent most of the time just trying to defend the back take um, underneath him. Hanchi Legacy, the last like, 15 times we've trained together, he puts on his gi, we train side by side, whether it's with one of my yellow belts or with me. And I just want to say about Sensei Dofa, and he's going to be mad that I introduced him last and I'm blowing him up a little, but uh, this isn't somebody who got a dojo and paid for a few mats and now doesn't train. This is somebody who I've been lucky enough to meet the odd Wednesday morning for some jujitsu because as somebody who started a new art, he wasn't going to not pressure test it. And he went and competed and he won a gold medal. And I'm not surprised by that. And this isn't somebody who started this art when they were 18. It's somebody who started it within the last year and said, let's see what I got. Win, lose, or draw. And I've told my students to sense it. Oh, fine. Win, lose, or draw. I'm going to win. And uh, you did. So I'm just, uh, I'm proud of us as a club that doesn't sit back and watch. Uh, people who will remain unnamed like to stand with their belt in their pants having a cigarette. And that's never been us. Um, and, <laughs> and I'm proud of you, Sensei. Thanks, Sean. And less about me, and let's talk about uh, Kyoshi Lodisur. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's one of the most senior students of one of our friends, Hanshi uh, John Terrian at Terrian Jiu-Jitsu in Ottawa. And when I say one of the most senior students, 
I want to just quickly read something that Hanchitarian sent to me uh, today. Uh, he said, I have produced over 1,000 black belts. He's the second to reach an eighth degree black belt under Hanchitarian, second one. Says Asuino and I were there when he got it presented to him. We didn't see his test, but I was really proud to stand in the room and see him get it. I got a picture with him after. Um, he goes on to say his three boys, uh, they're all black belts and more. Uh, and he says, one of my best friends and an incredible teacher. That's what Hanchitarian has to say about Kyoshi Lidisor. Um we already talked about this. Does, does he give an amount? How much I have to send to him now? Or yeah. not yet, but uh, I'll collect that and I'll pass it along for you, uh, Kyoshi. <laughs> so he's been doing martial arts since 1971. And if you want to guess, that's when I was born. So um, yeah, I was born in 1971. He's been doing martial arts since 1971. Uh, he's a world-renowned instructor. Again, A3 black belt in jiu-jitsu. Uh, Kyoshi Lidisur is one of the, those responsible for the black belt evaluation board in the Terrian organization. So he created that. Um, as well, we've kind of touched on this. He's a police officer by profession since 1980. Um, and as a result, the things he's saying to us tonight, you should pay attention to it because He's been able to use them on many occasions. Um, his martial arts has been pressure tested is what I'm saying. Uh, he talked about this a little bit already as well. We, My thunder gets stolen from my introduction when we do <laughs> start talking, but uh, he's an expert in pressure point control tactics. Um, as he said, PPCT, uh, defense against various weapons, weapons training. He's one of the most recognized police officers and instructors in defensive tactics. Um, his son, Ben, has become a really good friend of mine. I've really been proud to formulate a relationship with him. And I was happy that I had his phone number and I could reach out and say, hey, Ben, what should I be saying about your dad uh, tonight in the introduction? And uh, he said a bunch of stuff that I'm not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And then he said, um, one thing I can say is that he's one hell of a teacher. Uh, he knows his stuff, special police tactics. He has seen and done shit that nobody knows. Here's another thing. He also took a chance on us. And when he says us, he means his two boys, Bobby and Ben. He took a chance on us when he start, when we started the dojo in 2000. He basically signed the lease agreement, bought, he bought all the equipment, and he said, let's go, boys, make this work. Mm -hmm. And listen, they fuck it. They make it work. They're making it work. They got two facilities, multi-floor facilities. Those two guys are fucking studs, man. You go in there, and you're going to get the best training on the face of the earth. And uh, that's because Kyoshi Lidisur got that started for them, helped them with it. Um, I want to say he's a genuine person. You're going to watch this talk. And you're, when you hear us talking, you're going to say, oh, I wonder if he's like this. He is exactly how he represents himself. He's not going to be disingenuous. 
He's capable. He's honest. He's super funny. Like I've never not been with him and not been laughing two seconds after we've been talking. And if you haven't figured it out yet, the guy's, he's fucking deadly. Like he's not, if he jumps out of a car and you look at his face, if you see him just go in the other direction, if you, <laughs> if he puts his hands up like this and says, hey, just go in the other, really, go in the other direction really quick. And, uh, I want to say, Kyoshi, I'm really proud that we've become friends over the last five or six years. Um, I'm really happy I can walk into your dojo and get a hug from you and talk to you. You know, when we were in Levy, you taught the knife defense course. My student, Justin, was like, oh, my God, sensei, that guy, that was crazy. He loved that class. So thank you so much for being you, passing it forward. And thank you for coming on tonight. And, uh, yeah, I know we're going to. Have good conversation tonight and many more to come in the next few decades. And I look forward to it, Randy. Thank you. Thank you. Just to clarify one thing, I no longer jump out of cars, okay? Uh, at my age and at my size, I don't jump. I just get out when I want. <laughs> Swear he I doesn't jump, He doesn't jump out because he doesn't have to. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> Uh, just a little quick bit of housekeeping for everybody watching on YouTube or for listening on the podcast, hit that subscribe and like button. We really appreciate it. It helps us out and it shares, uh, you know, bumps us up on the algorithms and we never hate that. And if you're watching right now on the Zoom in real time, we're so happy you're here because you get to be a part of this living history. We have the chat button at the bottom where we want you to ask our questions for Kyoshi LaDouceur. Kyoshi, my favorite question that kicks us off is... What was it like for you growing up and what brought you into that first club or dojo? Uh, well, again, I said that earlier when we were uh, talking just off the cuff, but back in the early 70s was the Bruce Lee craze. And it was a martial arts school at every street corner. And I started going to school. And I grew up in, in a place called Eastview, which is now Vanier. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting place little town it's a, it's a city within a city it's a one mile one square mile city within the city of ottawa and i'm surprised they haven't roped it off or fenced it off yet but that, that that's what should have happened and uh the uh you'd go to school and we had some guys in the class that oh i'm a karate guy and i do this and i do that so you sort of got the well let's go find out about it and uh my dad had initially started uh, going to see john terrier so I went to see Sensei Terrier, and uh, he was on the second floor of a uh, of a furniture store, and uh, walked in there, and uh, I've never left. And uh, at the end of the day, I did leave for the odd period of time, like everybody else. I mean, there's school, there's girlfriends, and getting married, uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's been a lifetime commitment. And uh, as he said, through uh, through Randy, I mean, uh, he, he he's part of my family. He's my big brother. And I've been with him for 51, 52 years or whatever. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I hope to get a gold watch someday. But anyways, uh, <laughs> and he and he uh, was, I mean, I was, when Ben says that we uh, we backed him up to start a, a full-time job for, for Ben and Bob. Uh, yeah, we did go ahead and start a dojo. Uh, and prior to that, I was a senior instructor at Terry and Jiu-Jitsu, uh, teaching Monday, Wednesday nights. And I'd go there with my club bag and just have to prepare a lesson plan, teach a class, walk out, didn't have to sell a contract, pay a bill, uh, didn't know what it was to, to run a school. 
but uh, when we decided to explore that, Sensitarian was 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 right there and to guide us along. And uh, yeah, and it was an, a family adventure. And my three boys are black belts, like Randy indicated. And uh, my wife and uh, all five of us uh, started this thing and uh, went from one student to three students to nine students. And the rest is history. Pandemic tried to take it all away, but we're back and we're back in full force. and. Uh, the 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 true believers and 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 the real McCoys we're still around so uh, it's it's yeah. beautiful one of the questions you know I really like to just poke at is why did you stay you know you're young okay there's some martial arts going on around but why did that room keep you what was going on there probably uh, the people that were there actually uh, we had some awesome instructors I mean obviously Sagittarius was there but he had uh, he had some great senior belts and they were always there to help you. And, and, and the Norm Beauchamp was there and the Victorios were there. And the other thing too, is back then we enjoyed doing a lot of sparring. And as I mentioned earlier, out of an hour and a half, two hour class, you sparred for at least an hour and uh, you learn so much by doing that. And things that we don't do as much today as we did back then. I mean, that was our sort of stress inoculation. Uh, we have a lot of, of, of yeah. martial artists today that are so unbelievably talented, but they've never felt anything at the tip of their nose or the side of the head. And when that happens, oops, there's stress. And then they do the turtle and uh, game over, right? Even though they're so talented, that sparring, that uh, that fighting, that uh, whether, and, and even back at our dojo, Ben has a fight club and he people go in the ring and, and they, they know what it feels like to get hit and the need to block. And the need to bob and weave, and and at the end of the day, we call that our stress inoculation program, and and you learn or 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 you wear it somehow, <laughs> with a souvenir. But yeah, and and we were brought up doing that. We were brought up doing that, and also Mr. Terry, he was uh, so well known and and so open to expanding. And I mean, he he brought us to to different federations. He brought us to Europe. He brought us to uh, to. Uh, Richard Morris, he brought us to Caesar Burkowski, he brought us to NSAE, all these people that when they become part of your inner circle, they look after you and they direct you and they they guide you. And when you have an issue, you can pick up the phone. And and uh, I go back and say, listen, if it wasn't for Hanshi Caesar Burkowski to run the professional dojos that he run, we copied that. He trained us how to do that. And, and it was it's thankful for him. And it was it was a karate school helping a jujitsu organization, but today that has all changed. In the old days, you were a, a turncoat if you you went to another dojo. Today, uh, it's not the same thing. It's 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 a group of business people uh, helping each other. And uh, if there's a a need that arises, I can pick up a phone and call anybody in that on this network here. And uh, at the drop of a hat, I will have all the help that I need. And the same thing goes for everybody else. They know that if they call the Gatno Dojos, Ben, Bob, myself, anybody will be there to 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 provide whatever it is that you need. So it, it's sort of a brotherhood or a sisterhood or a family, whatever you want to call it. But uh, uh, and and I, being a police officer, you've heard about the brotherhood in policing, and so it's the same thing in martial arts. It is a big family, and if you're in the right family, then guess what? It's it, that's why you stay. That's why you stay. Sometimes you leave for, for whatever reason, but but you come back. It's like us. We opened in 2000. We had kids that were six, seven, eight years old. 
and then because of school, whatever they left when they were 10, 11, oh, they come back and they're 25 years old or, or 22 years old. And you're going, we, we must have done something right because they've come back to us and now they bring their kids and so on. So it, 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 it sort of validates a lot of, of, of what we want to do and where the direction we want to go to. That's awesome. There's two questions for me that pop up there and one of them I'll go around the horn on, but this one's just for you. You know, there's some people out there watching who will benefit from hearing you talk about leaving and coming back. I know some people, if they take a break, the break goes from one to two years and they feel like they can never come back. And all of a sudden, 20 years go by and they wish they had. And so what 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 made you leave? What made you come back? And what would you tell somebody who's on the fence, but going, oh, I don't know, it's it's martial arts, it's so tough, I'll be made fun of, or I'll, everyone will be ahead of me. Or What would you say to that? Well, when you start the martial arts and, and, and you're, you're very much into it and you're sort of committed to it and you spend a year or two or whatever, and then there are factors that come into play, whether it be a girlfriend, whether it be, and in my case, it was, it was my wife and, and also schooling and then college and, 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 and part-time jobs because I didn't come from a, an affluent family. I mean, if I wanted something, I had to go get a job and then make some money and then pay for it and pay for my own courses and so on. But at the end of the day, uh, you always have the love of that, or you even get Mr. Terry who would pick up the phone and say, how you doing? Bernie, mm -hmm. how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. That, that is worth, uh, th that tells you that they want you, that, that you're someone, it, it, it validates you as a person. So you go back. And uh, what made me go back uh, on a full-time basis was when I decided to become a policeman uh, in 1980. I had been back for a couple of years, but being a policeman, learning what it is that I was being taught at the dojo, and, and uh, gaining my skill set and so on. And then what I found it gave me in policing, uh, there, was, there was never any doubt that I wasn't going to stay A, with the police and also with the, with the martial arts end of it. Amazing. I want to come back to what it gave you as a police person. But the other thing I want to talk to everyone about and start with you is just the idea of in back in the day, you were a turncoat if you went to another dojo. What are the benefits of that? And what's the benefit of that having changed somewhat? Well, listen, we had, in our area, we had big, uh, we had Andre Langelier who had a karate club. And uh, from there came the Fern Clarus and so on. So karate was very much uh, an entity in itself and they had their own tournaments and uh, the Quebec Open, the Canada Open, the Ontario Open or whatever, but there was never any tournaments for, for jujitsu. So we would go to karate tournaments and meet a lot of people. Well, you should come to our dojo and 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 try a class or whatever. That was that was frowned upon unless you asked permission from the sensei. That was frowned upon. Uh, and 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 if anybody found, oh, I understand you were you went to uh, ninja jujitsu instead of, of you know, well, at the end of the day, that was the mentality back then. You were being uh, disrespectful to your dojo if you went somewhere else. How that has changed? Well, the benefit of that is that you know what. You should be just into one style, into one avenue. The more we have changed, the more we've expanded our knowledge, the more that we have evolved our curriculum. And where does that stuff come from? It comes from the Capital Conquest. It comes from the World Conventions. It comes from training with other schools and the exchange of information and bringing instructors in to teach seminars and us going there. And then you find that a lot of stuff is very similar in what we do and there was stuff that we were doing that probably wasn't the right thing to do and if 
I go back to the exercises that we did, the Hunchy Legacy back in the 70s and so on, even the stretching exercises, we've had to modify that because it wasn't necessarily the best thing for us. Uh, the falling on your heads with the break fall and so on. I mean, <laughs> you, you can't be doing all of that. Uh, so going going to and being welcomed as well, being welcomed to by other schools and other organizations it was a godsend for all of us. And it allowed us to expand our horizons and to develop our program. Our, our curriculum for a while was evolving too rapidly and we tried to put too much into it. And, and uh, I know I speak personally from our style, we tried to incorporate BJJ in there, but become a black belt, uh, you don't become a black belt in three years in BJJ. I think you all know that by now. And, and to put grappling in there, it just, extended the, the the length of our of our of our grading system from white to black and and i think what we learned from that is you know let's make it bjj is a program unto itself our instructor bobby became a black belt in bjj uh, in our organization we have uh, renshi eddie camijo who's our go-to person for bjj he controls all of that the curriculum and so on but it's a program into itself so in our dojo we have a a uh, Japanese style of jujitsu program. We have a kickboxing program and we have a BJJ program. It was tough when you try and put everything in one, you can't do that. You have to separate it because some people like to kick and punch well, or they, they join just for the fitness. They just don't want to get thrown or locked up like a pretzel. Well, we put them in the kickboxing program. Uh, those that like to, 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 to grapple on the floor and wrestle and so on, well, they're in a BJJ because the BJJ craze is still very, very strong. There's a, there's a need. People call and they want a BJJ program. Well, you develop that program and, and, and you go ahead with it. You answer the need of the clientele. I mean, you have to create the need for the product. And, and once the people are knocking at the door, you can't turn them around and say, go somewhere else. Right. So you got to shit or get off the pot and, and you develop programs. Sensei Incredible Sweeney. programs. Yeah. Um, I'll throw that one to you, Sensei Suino. You know, being a turncoat back in the day, uh, whereas now that's less the idea, although, you know, we'd all argue that there's club loyalty within our organizations. It's pretty specific, but what, uh, what are the benefits and what are the, the, the detriments of all that? Well, you know, I, I teach four martial arts at my dojo. I've probably dabbled in six or seven. Um, but I still believe to this day and all the evidence suggests you should get into one martial art and get into it really deeply over a long period of time. And I guess that was easier in the old days because that's really the only choice you had. You go to a dojo, you're stuck in that dojo. They badmouthed other dojos. You weren't encouraged to go other places. Um, now you have a lot more opportunity. You know the world better. I think you learn from other martial arts, not only other arts themselves, but I think they inform your training in your in your core art. So the downside is it's distracting. I can't tell you how many people I have come into my dojo and they say, well, I want to, I want to be in, you know, I want to do MMA, but I'm, I want to, you know, I want to learn a little judo. They just don't get that good. Right. The people that get good at judo are the people that get into judo. <laughs> right. And it's just a mindset. I mean, they could even go train somewhere else in something else, but if they just feel like right walk into the door that they want to be MMA players and they want to dabble, there's just something about the mindset that's different. So I think it was easier to focus on one in the old days. I think it's still necessary to focus on one, but uh, possible to do more. Uh, there's, you know, there's just more distractions. It's easier to be a, it's easier to be a, what do they call that? A, a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. Sure. Um, 
Hanshi Legacy, turncoat back in the day, trader, if you check out another club, maybe a bit less so today. What are the pluses and minuses? Well, really, I, I think it's all gone this way because the other way, none of it's good. Because, uh, I mean, you're trying to build an, an environment, a feeling of brotherhood and um, uh, and really fight martial arts in those days martial arts they're a fighting thing so it sort of almost gives you the idea that you're trying to be tougher than the next guy or something to that effect and it was just a, a wrong way of thinking it was like a western world way of thinking to pitch yourself against something whereas in the east um, i'm not saying there weren't any battles back in those days either but And, you know, and the other thing that's bad about it is nobody wants to join a war. Like, you know, when students come in and then if, you know, you're bound to hear some stuff going back and forth, I, I don't think it's good for the business that, you know, somebody comes in there and they're trying to learn martial arts and then they're in a battle against another dojo. It just, it happened to me. I remember one time I was in the dojo and a uh, guy from another club, two instructors from another club were. Uh, they came in after class was over and they were after they sort of they said I want to see, we want to see your sense so uh, make a long story short we just put an end to that and they left so um, you know it was like that you, you got no room like that for a business or or giving somebody a martial art that could kill somebody as well as having a gun so that's my take on that, I guess. Thanks, Hanchi. Sensei Dofan? So, again, I can only take this from my personal perspective, Sean. When I started, I was super competitive. I'm still competitive. I want to compete. Um, and so I think a lot of that rivalry back then was because of that. You couldn't find the, the balance between being a rival and a friend with somebody. Um, as far as being a turncoat, I don't know. I get, I would say to all the students, just please ask. Just please, you'll, if you ask, you're going to probably get the right answer because your teacher is not going to try and screw you up, right? Like if, if somebody asks me, like my students say, oh, I want to go to JMAC and I want to do Iaido with Sensei Suino. I'm like, go. Like, thank you for telling me. Contact him go train there. My students say, uh, I'm, it just happened tonight. Oh, I want to, is Sensei Legacy going to teach on Saturday morning? Um, I want to go train with them. Go. Thank you for telling me. Let me be part of it, like, you know, supporting you. And then sometimes though, there's certain places where if they said, uh, I want to go here, I just say, don't go. And if you go, there's going to be consequences because that's a bad club. That's not a good instructor. That's not a good place to train. I know I have experience. So no. Um, but I'm really happy today. Look at our network of people that we're talking to. Like it's global now. Like we have a global network of elite martial artists who are great people who collectively work together to help students and move the martial arts forward. That's... That's the best. 
Like that's, I love the fact that I can go to Ottawa and walk into Kyoshi Lutasur's dojo and see Ben and Bobby, and they're going to help me with BJJ and they're going to do some kickboxing with me. And if they come here, they're going to ask me some questions and it's not going to be competitive. Like it will be competitive if we fight with each other, but when we're done fighting, we're going to hug each other and go have a beer and uh, commemorate. And it's going to be awesome. And that's what I want. I want a big global presence of awesome people who are awesome martial artists, because that's going to help me and that's going to help everybody. And I'm glad that competitive rivalry is still there, but in the right place, right? You're not trying to achieve something at the expense of somebody else. You're trying to achieve somebody with other people and achieve it with them and move forward together. Just, yeah. just one more thing, Sean, if I may. Uh, can please. you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yes, please. yes, yes. Uh, if you... Uh, in, in the older days, if you went to a convention of sorts or whatever, you could tell the old the old uh, mentality where whoever was teaching most of his mat was his own students. Okay. Whereas today, we if we go to a capital conquest or a world convention or in Libby, we we tell our students, don't come on our mats because you're 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 there two, three, four times a week. Go see these people. Find something you want to do. You want to try some idol? Go try idol. You want to do some BJJ? Go do BJJ. If you want to do kickboxing, go see the champ and do it. I mean, at the end, you want to do some sword work? Absolutely. But but don't come on my mat. I don't want to see you on my mat. And 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 we push them away. Not push them away, but we want them to see that there's other stuff out there. And uh, and then they're they're the true. Uh, People that will tell you, you know what? I really, really enjoyed this person. I really enjoyed that person. You know what? That instructor, he was full of himself and blah, 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 blah. But they're the, they're the real critics. And that's uh, that speaks volumes sometimes. But you got you to gotta say, no, go try, try it. Expand your horizons. Then come back. And you know what? If you found something that was neat, well, it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to the martial arts community. So show us what you got out of that. Show us how you applied it, blah, blah, blah. And that's how we evolved and that's how we expand. And and listen, we've been on the drawing board on a number of occasions saying, you know what, we need to change this technique. We need to change that approach. We need to change this. And But however, when we do it, we do it collectively with the Terrier schools and say, well, this is what we think we should be doing. And then there's the arguments with the other senseis and the other school owners. And you make your case and it, it's either an A or an A or a yay. So. But at the end of the day, you have to evolve. You just can't be stuck in your little cocoon and think you're the be all and end all and the cat's ass. And no, because there's somebody out there that's bigger and better and stronger and more fluid than you and whatever. At the end of the day, you can't you can't hold people back. You can't put the blinders on. I really and those, love that. Hey, Sean, those bigger, stronger, better people are his sons. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. You didn't have to feed them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> must have fed them a lot. It must have been like, okay, boys, take your cup of steroids. <laughs> right? like uh, you know what? No, it wasn't that. It was just their mom's home cooking. And then oh, the man. friends that they had, like Bobby's best friend was Alain Saïe or, or was Alain Moussi. Well, he eats more than Bobby and Ben put together for Christ's sake. So at the end of the day, uh, they, they, they would come and empty everything. There was never enough to eat at home. So. Um, hey, Tom, before you yeah. move on, the one thing I want to say about that collaboration is 
at the beginning of the year, we did 75 hard. A bunch of us did 75 hard. And when I was about 15 days into it, Ben reached out to me and said, hey, Randy, here's the link to all my workouts. Like hundreds of workouts. And he wasn't thinking this guy's going to steal my workouts and start trying to push them out as his own workouts. He yep. just was trying to help me get through 75 hard. Yep. And that's like a super cool thing about removing that competitive nature and just working collaboratively with good people who are good martial artists. Right. Yeah. I love that. And I love the 2023 ethos that's out there in the martial arts right now. The only button I want to put on this for me is in 1993, I needed it to be blinders. Like I don't think I'd have lasted in the martial arts if cross training felt more like something we do, you know, like I, uh, I needed to have limits or else I would have not gotten good at anything. And so I'm really happy with the way it is now, but I'm really happy. I came into something that felt maybe a little stricter, um, very much. So Sensei Suino. Yeah. I just want to, I just want to add one more thought, which is, um, I literally have the experience of in the, in the, um, in the late seventies and early eighties, being in a dojo that was very closed and having some people there talk bad about other people in the martial arts, people that I now know who are absolutely fabulous human beings, like really competent, nice, not arrogant, ha happy to share. So, so, you know, it's not theory. It's not theory, right? Like the old way really was not that helpful. We're in a much better place right now. So if we could have the, if we could have the old focus and the commitment level, like you needed, Sean, earlier in your career, right? Along with this openness and this camaraderie, I think that's kind of the best of both worlds. I love the idea of trust with that too, right? Like, go check it out. You will come back, <laughs> like, or not. Like, but if I grasp too tightly and you leave, you're never coming back. Um, because, you know, that's just, that's fear-mongering. Um, Sweeno also mentioned the fact that First of all, you definitely want to concentrate on one art and become good at that one art. Otherwise, if you dabble in this and dabble in that and dabble, I mean, you're missing the whole point of, of, of the journey. So once you develop some competency in the art that you're training with, then go explore and, and maybe find out, uh, you know, okay, how does that apply to what you do and, you, and, 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 and the techniques that you do and can it complement something? But if you if you if you don't build any competency in any one style, it's going to be hard to to become a a a, a good martial artist all around. Well, also too, what I think the MMA did was challenged everything for like a decade, but then after there was a body of like statistical information, it was sort of like, oh yeah, you can be a jits man who wins, you can be a karate man who wins. You can be a wrestler who wins. Now, we know there's some arts that haven't made the podium yet, and I, I'm not sure what they're asking themselves. But fundamentally, when you look at the core arts, um, you can come through any one of those doors and go be a UFC champ. You'll need to round out your thing. But I think what's interesting is 10, 20, 30 years later, we're like, there's almost a renaissance of a singular art approach again. Whereas after 10 years, people were like, crap, I need to do everything. And after 20, it's like, you no, know, coming through a single door strong. And then you'll be fine once you get to those other arts. I think I think that's what's cool about it is it's actually made classical arts pop again. Good, yeah, absolutely. Kyoshi, it is 
9.30, your time, 6.30, mine, which means it's time for your 10 questions. Um, wow. We asked, yeah, it's time. <laughs> Everybody answers uh, as, as impulsively as they can, we ask, but then feel free to flesh out your answer as you wish. Um, so question number one, what is the most effective move in your martial arts arsenal? Well, in mine or in our style? Mine. To be honest, I think it's a front shin kick. It's a front shin kick because I tell you, as a police officer, when things went, went, got physical and got really excited, people would always look at the hands, would always look at the face, but would never see the shin kick coming. And that was probably one of the best things. And whenever I teach that in a, in a, uh, in a uh, conf confrontational management course, uh, <laughs> that's exactly it's. And you know who can't do a front shin kick? And I tell him, I sing him the song, New York, New York. Okay. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it is the best way to get somebody's hands down, to get somebody's head down. And uh, my most go-to technique, the first move is always a front shin kick. First of all, I can't kick high. So it's, <laughs> that's the other reality. <laughs> uh, who is the most influential martial artist in your life? Oh, wow. Well, obviously, Hanchi Terrier was, was my mentor, uh, and he opened the door to so many uh, people that have become my mentors as well. Um, and, and, you know, there's so many great martial artists out there. And I mean, I, I was surrounded by Jean-Yves Terrier in the, in the kickboxing world. And you know what? He was the world champ, but he was also my brother. He, and, and you know what? The, his surroundings became my surroundings. I've gone to Europe on some fights with him as well, uh, just to be just to be there with him, his entourage. Uh, but today, I look at at my boys as my heroes because of the the people that 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 the uh, the athletes that they've become. I mean, as you know, I'm a retired police officer, and when my guys, my boys, my big boys, as Randy talks uh, talks about, uh, didn't follow my footsteps in policing, a lot of my cohorts would say, well. Are you a little disappointed your boys didn't? Well, no, they did because I started martial arts long before I became a policeman. And, and they started at age four and six. And today they earn their living doing that. And, and they are awesome athletes and uh, uh, Canadian championship uh, kickboxing for Bobby, world champ, amateur champion for, for Ben. I mean, it validates our program. It, it, it's, at the end of the day, if you're going to teach a kickboxing program, you want to go and train under Jean-Yves Thierry you want to go train under Benoit Dussard because they've, they've made their, 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 their proof. Uh, I look at Bobby, who's a six Dan jiu-jitsu in, in Japanese style. He didn't stop training. He started like everybody else, like Randy, as a white belt in BJJ and, and got turned around like a pretzel. And today he's quite an accomplished BJJ, as well as a Japanese Jiu-Jitsu instructor. But being good in the art is one thing. Being good in the presentation of your art to your students is key. And we've always said that. At the end of the day, uh, it's, it's, we're entertainers. We are entertainers. We have a great bag, much like you. You're, whatever you do, it's an art that you do. And, and, and uh, same thing. We have a background. We package it. We prepare. We 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 give the 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 product to the to the student. And all of that was done through John Terry. All of that was done through Cesar Burkowski, through Alain Say. It's all the mentors that we we were surrounded with. 
And if I imparted any of that knowledge to my boys, so be it. But they are far better than I have ever been and will ever be. And at the end of the day, today, I have a lot of heroes. But my heroes right now are my two oldest boys. So there you go. John, who do you think is who do you think is the most influential martial artist of all and why? Oof. Um, you know what? In 1989, I had the opportunity of being sent by uh, Henry Terry to uh, Guernsey, Ontario, or Guernsey uh, in, in, in the, in the uh, Channel Islands and to a Jiu-Jitsu International Convention. And there, for the first time, I saw a guy by the name of Alain Sey. And young Alain Sey in 1989 was poetry in motion. I had never seen such a fluid style, such a precise style. I was used to seeing strong, uh, powerful, uh, but you know, karatekas or or this guy was he was like dancing around the the the, the tatamis, and uh, the way that he handled his yukis and and. Just his self, his style was so different as well. I mean, even his stance. Those of you that have had an opportunity to do a class with him, he's got a bizarre stance. I mean, uh, we have a dominant side back, and we have our hands in front, and and he's got this other hand. I mean, it's, it's very bizarre. But that was in 1989. 1990, he came to Canada, and from then on, I mean, this guy to this day, uh, you put him on a mat, and his mat is 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 super crowded. And he, again, he speaks about the fluidity and the power and how all of that is generated through through the style that he does. And yeah, he's probably uh, one of the best martial artists I've ever seen. What excites you most about the next five years of your training? Boy, uh, well, Sean, I just seven weeks into a uh, total knee replacement. <laughs> Oh, I'm recovering from that. Uh, I, I certainly aspire to get back on the mat uh, very, very shortly. Um, I got to tell you as well, I've been doing martial arts for a number of years. But uh, in 2010, uh, I was a, I've always been a jiu-jitsu person. 2010, I had sur sur cervical surgery. And therefore, my days of, of being thrown, my days of neck locks and neck cranks and, 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 and grappling and stuff, that was over but i became a student in kickboxing mm. i've seen it all my life through jean-yves terrio and the kickboxing classes that we had in vanier but i was a jiu-jitsu side of terrian jiu-jitsu and kickboxing in 2010 or 11 i started kickboxing and it was so much fun to become a student again and uh, because as a senior instructor you don't train as hard as you should sometimes but the benefits I got from going back on the mat as a uh, kickboxing uh, novice student in my own school, uh, training with uh, kickboxing students that were far more advanced than I was, yet I was a school owner with my boys. Uh, it had nothing to do about being humbling or anything like that. The reality was it, it uh, got me primed again to train. And I can't wait to get back into kickboxing classes. And I can't wait back to get back in teaching jujitsu as well. I don't train as much in jujitsu. Uh, but I enjoy the teaching of it, but I train more so in kickboxing. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get there? Took you long enough to get here. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, I'm not ready to go soon. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yep.
Um, do you have a favorite film and television martial artist, whether they're legit martial artists or not? Uh, I got to say what's impressed me over the last uh, few years are the John Wick films. So yeah, he's not a martial artist, but my God, when you look at 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 the the uh, the choreography and how everything uh, uh, it, it just flows, it just flows. And from a takedown to a throw to a shot to the head or double tap and then turn around and this guy's coming and he deals with that, just just the fluidity of those movements. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen a martial well what I consider a martial arts film. Uh, impressed me that much. Otherwise, I'm not a big uh, martial arts fan, per se. Do you have a martial? Yeah. Do, uh, do you have someone living or dead in all of recorded history who you'd want to train with the most? Well, um, no, I don't think so. Everybody that I that that is alive, I enjoy training with, and and. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm sorry, but uh, no, I, I'll have to pass on that question. Sorry. We all kind of want more time with each other, no matter who else is famous. When you're well surrounded, it's kind of hard to look outside of that because I have more, more than enough people uh, that uh, at a moment's notice, if I walk into any dojo, I want to do a class, they will allow me to do a class. So yeah, why, why, why concentrate on somebody who can help me uh, as opposed to somebody who can So. Um, if everyone in the world could have the greatest benefit martial arts has given you, whether they train or not, what benefit would they be getting? Well, confidence, um, the respect, uh, and treating people with respect. I mean, I, I got that in martial arts. I, I, it paid dividends for me in my law enforcement career. I have had to deal with some very, very interesting situations. Uh, yet I treated everybody with respects to the point where uh, I don't. I don't like. I, I don't hate the bad guys. In fact, I've always said that to the, my coworkers. I mean, they're my pension plan. I mean, why would I piss on them? I mean, at the end of the day, if you treat them right, then you get to see them on another occasion, whether it be on the street or in court, and you turn around and say, "How are you, Officer Latticer?" Then I did something right, right? Or some people have attitude problems, and if I dealt with their attitudes, uh, there was a situation where I was walking down the street with. Uh, Sensi Terry at the time, Jean-Yves Theriot, myself and our wives, and we were in the hall coming out of a restaurant and some guy come out of a bar, looked at me, said, oh, fuck, and then turned around and ran away. <laughs> so, I mean, that's still, to me, a very positive effect. I mean, uh, he remembered me and uh, <laughs> I remember, remember Mr. Terry saying, uh, who's that guy? Well, I dealt with him last week. I don't think he liked it. But at the end of the day, three people with respect. Um, and it gave me a lot of confidence. So. Um, our last two questions come as a pair. What is your greatest achievement and what is your greatest regret? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I guess my three boys are my greatest achievement. But if you're talking about martial arts, uh, the fact that we started uh, in 2000 with an idea that uh, we could probably do something to create a job for my two oldest boys. And... Uh, we got them started, but the way that they developed and the way that the clubs have developed and uh, through the assistance of whoever was involved, at the end of the day, uh, I'm very, very uh, proud of, of uh, the success of our business, proud of the fact that we were able to survive the pandemic, because that was a son of a bitch uh, that destroyed a lot of people, but uh, 
at the end of the day, uh, especially commercial schools, we all know went had got a shit kicking. Uh, not not I'm not talking about the martial arts uh, clubs that deal in uh, you know they 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 teach in a gym or whatever. At the end of the day, the only investment they have is a rental of the gym, and then when the schools were closed down, well, they didn't have any rent to pay, no heat to pay, no salaries to pay. So uh, yeah, we we ran a, we were running a successful business. The boys work hard. And uh, they're making a good living doing it that. So I'm very proud of, of, of the work that they do. But my, my three boys, even my youngest, who's no longer involved in that. Uh, uh, and he was, he was probably the best teacher I had on staff <laughs> uh, because he was a lot younger and he dealt with the, the kids program. But uh, he's extremely successful as well in, his, in the IT world. So uh, yeah, fortunate. My boys are doing well. The business is doing well. And uh, life is good. And uh, my wife has supported us all these years, put up with our bullshit. And at the end of the day, uh, if I felt any better, I'd have to hand in my health card. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Greatest life regret. Is good. Biggest regret? Oh. Uh, Don't mention his name. Don't say who the criminal is. Don't say who. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Believe me, I have no regrets <laughs> along that line. Believe me. Uh, you know what? I, I, uh, I wish I would have been better martial artist. I wish I could have been a more effective. I could punch with the best of them. I've got great hands, but I couldn't kick worth a shit. And uh, I look at the guys that were surrounding me and the Vic Terrios and the, and, and the Norm Boshai. And all these guys are so unbelievably gifted. Bill Gatchel and, 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 and I always was in awe of their ability to kick. And uh, I... I never could. I mean, Ben's a great kicker. Bobby worked hard, but he's 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 an awesome kicker as well. But never had great leg technique. So my regrets is I never trained my legs uh, to the point where I would have been as proficient as I wanted to be, or a dream that could be. Thanks for those. Um, you mentioned being a policeman. Obviously, it's a big part of your story. And there's a question that I always love asking law enforcement folks on the show, which is. You know, what, what What did the martial arts give you and what would you want martial artists to know based on like even your shin kick answer? We don't get that answer from a lot of tournament competitors um, because that's a, you know, boots to shin type of thing. So what what did going in as a police officer uh, with with your martial arts background, what did the martial arts give you and what does being a cop give you back to the martial arts? Well, I know that. Uh... Martial arts gave me a background. Martial arts gave me confidence. Martial arts gave me a game plan. And uh, I can't speak for anybody on this panel or listening, but I knew in my world, if things were going to go sour very quickly, I needed to have a game plan. And it, as, stupid, as stupid as it sounds, that shin kit got me out of so many, so many difficult situations. Because it would start with a shin kick, they would buckle. I give them the forearm side of the neck. Down they would go, thump and dump, and then on to the next one. And 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 uh, so the confidence and the background and the ability to do certain things, and also coming from the school that I came from, uh, the fact that I had gone through hell doing those sparring rounds uh, with with uh, you know it was part of our daily training, uh, the kicks and the punches and getting kicked in the groin and getting getting hit in the face and so on, it, it, it sort of accustomed you. It wasn't a new experience. Today, people don't feel that that much. And when, when an altercation takes place outside and they get a reality check upside the head, 
uh, they don't like it anymore. They don't like the fight anymore. And, and it's not what they thought it was going to be. So being a policeman, I got a chance to put a lot of what I, I was training in practice. Um, some of it was good. Some of it wasn't good. And often when it wasn't good, I'd go back to the sense and complain. And I say, you know what? That technique is a shit. doesn't work. The response was always, is it the technique or the technician? <laughs> so he, and as a result of that, he would make me go over and over and over and over that controlling technique or that spe specific uh, strike or whatever until I got it right. And and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I got to learn. I got to be able to go back to the dojo and say, this is this is what happened. And in, 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 in my professional, uh, when things went wrong, well, guess what? I, I didn't have a problem getting out of, of, uh, of difficult situations. Uh, and, you know, being martial artists and especially being a black belt, and if you're a policeman, um, when you have to control or subdue or arrest an individual, like it or not, sometimes you have to thump them. And some people deserve a good thumping and sometimes they get it. And I've been to court where I've had to justify hitting somebody. And they'd say, well, you're a big guy and my client is so small and you hit him pretty hard, did you? I said, I certainly did. Well, why? You're a black belt in, in what, jujitsu? Yes, I am. So so why didn't, why didn't you just hit him 50%? Nobody can demonstrate what the 50% strike is. But I can tell you that if I hit you once and you go down, I eliminate, I minimize the chances of causing further injury. I also shorten the duration of the confrontation. So why would I only hit him at 50% and have to hit him again and again and again? I hit him once, he went down, game over. But the more times you get hit, I hit him in the face and I crack cheekbone. Then I cause a black eye. Then I break this. And I, no, no, I thump him once. He went down. That was it. As long as you can explain your actions in a palatable way. And when you're saying, why'd you hit him as hard? Because I didn't want to have to hit him again. Think about that for a second. A judge listens to that and says, solid point. Mm -hmm. Why'd you hit him so hard? Because I didn't want to have to hurt him any more than I had. And why'd you hit him so hard? Because he didn't comply. It wasn't my fault. It's his fault. Mm. As long as you've got the right answers, justify your actions. So martial arts gave me that. Police training gave me that. And when you put it all, whether it be on the job or in the dojo, you have to impart that type of information to the students. And to and my students also included police officers. So don't be afraid to hit somebody. How hard, how hard should I hit them? As hard as you can. Why? Because maybe first shot, well then, end the confrontation. And uh, I and think it's this fun to hit him that hard too. <laughs> Just don't tell the judge that. Don't tell the judge. No, that but way. you know what? If you hit him and he goes down, then you go down after him and hit him again and again and again. Okay, you have a problem. <laughs> you have a problem. But if you are in control, and once he goes down, sir, if I were you, I wouldn't. I wouldn't get back up. In fact, turn around, put your hands behind your back. If they comply, then there's no more issue. If they don't comply, then obviously they want another thumping. So anyways, to make a long story short, don't hold back. If you got to hit somebody, give them, what you, give them what you got, and hopefully you don't have to hit them again. So the, I want to pivot, and maybe this will be our last question, but talk to us about pressure points. You know, you, you said that, you know, chokes or certain types of neck restraints that are unpalatable 
Uh, but the pressure point gave you another option. And I think that's a big thing that doesn't get discussed enough about classical martial arts, because I don't think a lot of people know what it is. Well, I can tell you that through my pressure point training, it opened my eyes because in the dojo, they teach you how to kick, how to punch, because that's how the Japanese did it, or that's how the old instructors did it. And this is how you do it and how you do this and how you do in, in pressure points. The techniques were medically researched. They were legally researched. They were tactically researched and it wasn't anything fancy. It was all based on gross motor skills and it didn't require five movements to get from beginning to end. If you were thumping somebody on a forearm and the side of the neck, well, guess what? If you hit them right, they're going to go down or at least they're going to stun. And if they stun, well, they will weaken a bit, okay? So at the end of the day, if you drive a knee into a thigh, as opposed to giving a, a roundhouse kick to the knee and you dislocate the knee, if all they can do is cramp your muscle, okay? And give you a temporary Charlie horse. I mean, you see that in football all the time. The guy thinks he's broken his leg. They take him out of the play. Three plays later, they're back in the game. Why? Because there's no injury, okay? Don't cause the injury. Causing pain is perfectly acceptable, but injuring people will come back and cause you legal issues. Okay, so we've changed our training so that we don't go necessarily on the joints or those, we go on large muscle mass areas or pressure point areas. They're easy to apply. They're, they don't demand, uh, it, it's not dependent on size or strength. I mean, a woman, a small woman or a small man could do it to a gorilla like Bobby or Ben. So at the end of the day, ask Ben if he wants to be our Yuki for a pressure point class. Absolutely not. He doesn't want to be. Okay. Because he knows and it demands very little effort. So it's easy to do. It's easy to teach. Uh, if, if the technique is done right, it's easy to retain. It pays dividends because you see the effects right away. If I can give you an instant Charlie horse, you are going to hate me for about 5, 10, 15 minutes. You're going to be sore for the rest of the day. And when you wake up the next morning, you remember where I hit you. But you know what? There's nothing broken. You're not in a cast. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing if I hit you in the tibia and it caused that, 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 that uh, drop foot sensation. If I, if I hit you on the forearm and you lose the, the use of your arm for, for a few minutes to maybe five, 10, you know, you can't form a punch anymore. You can't hit me with that arm. Why? Because I have stunned it. Uh, it's the same thing if I cause you extreme pain. I mean, if you, you, you have people that will want to choke you, but if you use a pressure point in a targeted area and you cause so much pain, guess what? Their aggression turns to self-preservation. They don't want to poke your eyes out anymore. They just want the pain to stop. So you can alleviate the pressure once you have control. So it, it, it was so easy to teach and it wasn't dependent on fitness level. You talked about earlier on, uh, I think it was Nick with police officers. Whenever I would do the yearly recall for the police officers, the first question they ask you when they come into the, uh, the, the, the gym was, are we here all day? Is this gonna take all morning? Because they can't wait to get out because they're not in shape. Well, with pressure points, at least they had a skill set that they can use on the job which wasn't dependent on their fitness level. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's the neat little trick to have in your tool bag. And, uh, and the fact that it's least likely to cause serious injury or bodily harm was a godsend. I mean, pain, oh yeah, it'll hurt like a son of a bitch, but it's temporary. 
it's temporary. You can light up that motor point or that that pressure point, but you haven't caused any serious injury. So, right on, Hanshi. Is there anything you want to add about the pressure points? I know you're a master of that type of work. Um, no, I don't really want to add to it. It's just that's the sense of the white grain is to hit the nerve motor units, but it's not an art that we teach to children or anyone who is not a black belt or irresponsible. Because as you know, once you sever a nerve, that muscle group is not working anymore. So uh, I don't have anything to add except for that. Right on. Um, Kyoshi Ladusur, you know, it's one of the more popular uh, UFC techniques that's been showing up in the last one, two, three years which is that low uh, outside shin kick and the number of fighters who will step down, not even feel, and they just don't understand why their foot's not working. And then yep. they'll go back at halftime or the break and they'll, they'll come back and be able to fight, but they utterly got destroyed that round by just one kick landing on the right nerve and they're not walking right for the rest of the fight. They're not walking right. They're not functioning right. And, and, and their mindset is, is, is that why, why is this not working the way it should be working? And it takes them away from their game plan. Absolutely. Yep. Um, last question I want to go to you and uh, most of us around the horn, I will not be answering, teaching your children. You know, if you could just break into that for a minute or two, because I think that's something that comes up on the show. And that's something, you know, you consider them your heroes and, and, and your source of pride. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, what are the benefits and challenges of teaching your children and uh, having expectations and letting them go as they move through the journey? As very young children, I don't, I don't, I don't recommend it, because as a parent, uh, you're more critical of your own kids. In fact, when we started the boys, we started teaching them, and then I said, you know what, this isn't working out because whether they weren't good enough for me or I was too strict for them, and at the end of the day, I gave them to another instructor to develop. And as they become teenagers and young adults, then it was something we could do together. And rather than teach them, we would train together. So uh, if I had anything to correct, I would do it through training and not necessarily, they would be taught through the training aspect, but it was an activity that we did together. But when they were young kids, I gave them to another instructor. And once they learned a skill set, then I could critique that skill set and, and, and the execution of those techniques and say, you know, if, if you just did this instead of that, blah, 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 and, and this is why I do it this way. Uh, so, and, and now as adults, I mean, uh, Nothing more than I enjoy than taking a class of as being taught a kickboxing class by Ben or by Bobby. I mean, they're both great instructors, and and uh, yeah, no, it's 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 super. And then when we go when we go to uh, conventions, I mean, uh, they'll often offer to be yuki for me uh, while I teach a class, or they were both my yukis for my for my uh, my grading back in Levy. So uh, I wasn't very popular at the end of that hour and a half, but but. Uh, I, it was nice to be able to thump on them. Yeah, they bitched and whined. I talked to them after they were <laughs> whining about it. Yeah. Um, Sensei Dofa, you've taught your children. What, what What are your thoughts on it? What, what What do you recommend, not recommend? Man, that's a really tough question, Sean. Like, honestly, like it's super hard to answer. Um, you know, when my kids step forward, Sydney, Cheyenne, Stephen, Benny, when he was little, a lot of people think, uh, oh, 
they're getting some benefit, right? They're, they're getting an easier path. And I'm always like, you have no idea. They're getting a much harder path. Like they have a much harder path because when Sid stands in front of a black belt panel and legacy sure and Rue, they all have this expectation that they take from me and apply to her. Um, so when you're training them, it's as Kyoshi said, it gets really hard to just make it about them and not make it about you too. It gets just really challenging. Like it's really hard to untangle what your question is. Um, I'm really proud that my kids are all good martial artists. <laughs> uh, I'm really proud that they all have other influences like uh, since the legacy is their godfather, they've all gone to him so much over the last 20 years for their training. They've all gone to Census Reno for their training. Um, they've all gone to seminars. They all have other influences that aren't me. So may, maybe that's what I would say. Train your kids, but make sure that they have other influences that aren't you because you can't be their teacher. You got to be their dad. Like that right. has to be your primary responsibility. Um, and you can never put that aside. So yeah, I don't right know. Hanchi Legacy, anything you want to add? Well, I just train all my kids. And um, again, I was looking out for their, their best. And I thought if I, if I started training them and um, they would be able to defend themselves, they would be able to speak their minds because they can defend themselves, etc. And then I told them, like school, you have to do martial arts for a certain amount of time. So I put the age of 16, most of them started around 10 or 11. And uh, at the age of 16, everyone quit. <laughs> so, but during the lifetimes, I have had my daughters and my son say, um, you know, today, all that training that you gave me was a benefit. I was able to get out of a situation or um, defend myself during a confrontation or something like that. So um, I actually got, um, I achieved what I wanted to with them. But um, I would I would say that I, if I had to do it over and, and see it again and found a good enough instructor at that time, I would... I would uh, send them to someone else. Right on. Um, yeah. Since your daughter doesn't train with you, is that right? Well, she did. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's one of the most uh, heartfelt questions you've ever you've ever asked me, um, and I'm sure the other guys feel the same way. Um, Erica trained with me in karate for about I don't know four and a half five years, and we have two other main instructors in that program, Jeff Halpin and Dan Holland, who's one of our listeners tonight. Um, and so we had the benefit of me being able to be in there as well as those guys, other influences right inside our own dojo. I'll tell you my two of my proudest moments with Erica. One was the first time in sparring where she got hit really hard. She stepped back and looked at me and I said, get back in there. And the first time after four and a half years, I saw her face instead of going to tears, it went to it went to seriousness. And she turned around and she she threw a punch back that she, she, you know, with bad intentions. 
uh, first time in her life she did that, and she still she still remembers that lesson. Um, but the other thing, now that she doesn't do martial arts, she's in uh, drama, and to see her be helpful and supportive to her friends, right? Uh, this week she's spending all of her evenings during her summer vacation. This week, uh, helping a friend who didn't have enough people on crew. Um, so she's developed many of the characteristics that we hope for in martial arts, and she's found her own tribe. So, right? I, how can I, how can I be anything other but proud about that? Right on. Thanks everybody for that. I don't have any kids that I know of, so I will pass on that one. Um, but he probably has more than all of us. That's <laughs> yeah. you just wait till the suits, the paternity suits start coming in. I'm waiting for the knock on the door and some cool kid to show up. It's gonna be awesome. Get in here, you little scamp. Um, <laughs> uh, Yoshi Ladu, sir. If you if you've watched this at all, or even if you haven't, just so you know, the way we wind up our time that has literally flown by it's bright out here with me and I can't believe that we're done is we go around the horn and we just talk a little bit about our time with you. And then we'll put the last word to you and do a little housekeeping. So Hanchi legacy, what do you want to say about our conversation tonight? Yeah, it was a great conversation. We, we talked a little bit just before the program in French, we slapped that French, around yes. with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was very enjoyable. Of course, I know you and your sons and uh, I was good listening to you. Um, some of the things paralleled with, uh, you know, the, the nerve striking, especially, was interesting. Um, it was good to see that. I think you may have helped a lot of young police officers who may, or young police persons who want to be police officers. Now, I think you may have helped them a little bit tonight uh, um, by including the martial arts and seeing how you can just by changing the name, you can do some of those to defend yourself. I mean, yeah, you're in a life and death situation probably every day. And people have to realize that you can't always, always defend uh, society with, with words. Sometimes you have to get brutal. And so I guess changing the language is okay. It was great talking to you and, uh, Thanks for coming in our program, and um, I hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Hanchi. Sensei Suino? Yeah, Kyoshi, thank you so much. This has been great. You know, our paths have crossed at Capital Conquest and in Levy, um, and I've been able to watch you across the mat teaching your classes while I teach mine, but we haven't really chatted. Um, it's the first time we've had a chance to talk in an extended way. I'm just grateful for the opportunity. It's been, it's been wonderful. A great start to getting to know you. I hope we have a long, long relationship. Find a way to train together in the future. Well, the honor and privilege was mine, my guys. Thank you. Thanks, Sensei Suino. Sensei Dofa? I wrote a bunch of stuff, Kiyoshi, so uh, I want to- We can do end one. this right now if you want. No. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do one of your confrontational management courses. <laughs> Take my chokehold and make it a neck restraint, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I like that you said uh, the fighting is stress inoculation. It's true, right? Like, you know, once you're done fighting, training super hard, you're the most friendly person that when you leave. You're just like, hey, man, yeah, cut me off. It's okay. I'm I'm good, <laughs> right? It's all, it's all good. Um, you said you got to shit or get off the pot. I like that. I mean, I've heard that a lot of times, but I heard you say it and I like it from your mouth most. Um, 
if you dabble in something, you're a dabbler and you have to build competency in a primary style. That's what you said. You have to build competency in a primary style. Um, the front shin, shin kick, uh, sets legacy calls that giving the person a pair of socks, right? Where you just, <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah. I haven't had to do it, but I don't know. I guess I'm a evil person. Cause I really like to do that to somebody. <laughs> um, um, the most influential person, Hanshitarian, he's the most influential person to a lot of people. Um, but I also like that you said your boys. They're, I don't know your youngest son, but uh, Ben and Bobby, I love those guys. They're super great people. Um, I think it's really cool that you said your next five years, you want to get into kickboxing more. That's awesome. That Everybody should listen to that. That's, you know, it's never too late. The time's going to go by anyway, as Sean would say. So you might as well spend it doing something you want to do, right? Um, God, it took you long enough to get here. I hope it's a really long time, Kyoshi. I hope, <laughs> I hope it's a really it's long two of us, time. Yes. Yeah, I hope it's a really long time. Um, you were the only one like training of all time and you just said no, right? Like somebody in history that you ever wanted to train with and you just said, nope, like, Nope, there's nobody. That's awesome. I got them. I got them all right here. So, yeah, that's good for you. Um, you know, biggest benefit, confidence, respect. Totally agree. Um, you made it really specific about your greatest regret that you paid more attention to your kicking, right? Like, and just had done that. That's everybody should listen to that lesson. If you're a young martial artist. Don't have that regret. If it's kicking, choking, whatever that might be, spend some time now and, and work on that. Um, I like that you said the bad guys are your pension plan. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and, and I've been retired for 12 years and I thank them every day. <laughs> yeah. um, also that you said, um, the bad guys also say, how are you today, Officer Lidisser? That's also the yin and yang of it, right? Um, I know personally that you're, um, a really good dad because, and I know your wife is a really good mom because your kids are really good people. They're really nice people, good people, and they don't have to be nice people. They could be evil, terrible people, and they would be the worst people on the earth that you would want to meet if they were not good people, but you've done a great job with them. You're a good dad. And uh, I'm never going to miss an opportunity to train with you, uh, Kiyoshi, share a meal with you, have a laugh with you. Um, I really am really grateful for our friendship and uh, really happy to know that you can walk in the door here and I'll give you a hug and I can walk in the door wherever you are and you'll give me a hug. That's amazing. I'm proud of that friendship and that relationship. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate it. Um, Kiyoshi, I just want to touch on three things real quick. One is, <laughs> I just love your term thump and dump and on to the next. <laughs> I love how practical, simple, thump and dump on to the next. It's so battlefieldish in my mind and, and I love it. You didn't say it this way, but what I heard was the worst thing that should happen to you with, with regards to this stuff should be in the dojo. The way you talked about just having to train and pressure test. And I love that, you know, so that when you're out there, you know, you, you should come in with a little bit of a nick here and there, because if the first time it happens out there, you're going to be in real trouble. 
So I just wrote down first thing should happen in the dojo. And I don't think it, enough it, people realize that. It, it needs to happen in the dojo because when you live a new experience, especially in a shit fight, you know, if you've been there and done that, Randy, you've been in how many fights uh, in the dojo, how many sparring, how many competitions? It's nothing new, okay? But today's martial artists don't do as much of that. Like, I, I applaud your school for doing that, but it's not, it's not a common practice. So at the end of the day, if you think you're good at what you're doing, but you've never experienced the stress factor of getting thumped upside the head or, 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 uh, kicked in the gut and loss of wind or whatever, you know, something a good sidekick or front thrust will give you and you know, it'll line on your ass. If you can function, why? Because you've never experienced that stress level, buddy, you need to do it at the dojo. I mean, uh, whether, whether it be a kick in the ghoulies or, or, or a sidekick upside the head or whatever, at the end of the day, we've all experienced that at the dojo and guess what? We're still here. But when you never have, and I'm not saying to intentionally go and kick everybody in the nuts, but I'm saying that it happens and it, it happens through training and oopsies happen all the time. They shouldn't be uh, a regular occurrence, but when you've uh, experienced something that wasn't very pleasant, at least if it happens to you out in the street, it won't be a new experience. You will have been there. You will have done that. Yep. yep. And then the last thing I wrote down, you know, is just sheer joy. I mean, you have that thing that I'd say 99% of our guests have, and I don't know who the 1% are, where you seem to have unlocked through this martial arts journey, just a joie de vivre. And it's, it makes me think of your answer, like, hey, God, keep me down here a while, like a long time. And, and I think a lot of us have unlocked the goodness through this, and you really exemplify that. Um, well, is there any last thing you want to say? Well, you know what? First of all, it's an honor to have been invited to be part of this thing. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, I know Ben's been on it and I got to tell you a little funny story. I mean, as the kids were growing up, uh, uh, you know, like that, uh, do you know that his father is, 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 is a Sensi Latticer or Renshi Latticer or Kyoshi Latticer. Now I walk around in the circles and they go, Oh, that's Ben's dad. That's Bobby's dad. <laughs> they all refer to them as, as, as the famous ones now. So it's nice that it goes full circle. They've created their own identity. They're not living in anybody's shadow. So that's, I find it humorous at first. Uh, but every now and then, Ben still gives me a call, especially at a capital conquest when he says, everybody says, oh, you're Bernie's kid, eh? Because he's not used to that now. It's normally, uh, oh, that's Ben's dad. So it's funny. But uh, at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's good. Martial arts has been unbelievable for us, for my family, for my livelihood. Uh, it's, it's allowed me to, to, I think, be a better person. Uh, if, if, if you've never tried it, God, you owe it to yourself, that experience. You never, and we talked about that earlier, you're never too old to start this shit. I mean, there's something there for everybody. Do I want to go and roll and get thrown and, 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 and jump off cliffs? Not anymore. Been there, done that, and, and uh, I'm hurting all over. But, uh, and that's the other thing too. I mean, I look at all you guys as experienced martial artists. I'm sure you wake up in the morning and you found something that is tweaked and whatever. Uh, I can tell you that when I got my neck surgery back in 2010, I didn't do anything for six months. And it took me a while to get used to the fact that I woke up one morning saying, there's something wrong. And you know what that was? I didn't have any pain anywhere. And that wasn't normal for me. And at the end of the day, Every martial artist that is worth his or her grain and goes out there and trains two, three, four times a week or more, 
you got to be hurting somewhere. And if you're not, then you're not doing it right. So uh, keep on because if you don't use it, you lose it. We say in French and 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 Hanchi, you'll appreciate that. Si tu veux pas que ça roule, il faut que ça grouille. Okay. It translates roughly: if you don't use it, you lose it, or you'll you'll seize up, or whatever. So at the end of yeah. the day, keep going. It's not age is a number, and and you adapt. Obviously, I mean there are things that I can't do anymore that I could do, uh, but I'm developing new techniques as well as I go along. I modify, and and I'm still functional, and and. Uh, and never give up, guys, because at the end of the day, you got to step outside of that car or your house or, or or restaurant or whatever. And should you be unfortunate enough or for some people fortunate enough and, and your number gets called, you better be able to perform and go home. That's, that's the end of the day. Thank you so much for that. Um, Sensei Dofa, I'll throw it to you to tell us what's coming up. Well, um Next week, since Sweeno and I are gone into the mountains of Wyoming hiking, so there won't be a show, but there'll be um, a micro episode with Sense Legacy and I talking about uh, Sokan Bushi Matsumura. So please look into that. It was a really fun chat. I remember having it with Sense Legacy and we could do like six more episodes on that. Um, and then... On August 3rd, we have uh, uh, Dave Kovar. Sensasuno, you know him, right? Like, do you want to say a couple things about him? Well, I don't know him personally, but uh, we were lucky enough to meet him through another another guest of ours, Keith Hafner, Grandmaster Keith Hafner. Um, Dave Kovar is one of the um, preeminent business martial arts people. He created a system, and he has helped hundreds, if not thousands, of dojos figure out how to do business. Um uh, and and made made himself and them millions. So I think he'll be really interesting. And by the way, he's considered a solid martial artist at the, as well. So I think it'll be a really interesting conversation. August tenth, host chat. Many of you might not like them, but I like them the best. They're so much fun. <laughs> so we're going to do a host chat on August tenth because we haven't done one for a while, and then we'll talk about so many things. Um, and you can. The host chats, the good thing about that is if you log on, you can ask us questions, you can get your camera turned on and be part of what we're doing here, which is great. And then we have uh, Sensei uh, Tony La Silva on August 17th. Uh, he's one of uh, Hunchy Burkowski's senior, senior instructors, runs a really successful dojo, really good person. I've known him for a long time, really great martial artist. And uh, that's what's coming up, Sean. Thanks so much. And I just want to say thanks to Andre Sadashev for running the show behind the scenes. And I'm just not going to read the list of everybody because we're shifting our team a little. We're adding people. And so I don't want to make, uh, forget anybody. And also we're a little bit late, but there's a team behind that runs this. And we're so grateful to all of you. And I'll hug you all in person when we get that finalized list of who's on it now. But thank you, Andre, tonight. Thank you, Sensei's Kiyoshi. It's such a pleasure every week.